Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Beauties, you know that over here in A Certain Age pod land, we are age positive and big believers that the second half of life is full of possibility, vibrancy, joy. But we also recognize that aging brings challenges and change. Our bodies and brains do not work like they did at 20 or 30. And if we are aging, our parents are way ahead of us. Personally, I'm hell-bent on setting myself up for healthy, active aging and learning how to better support my parents with their own evolving healthcare needs. What do you think? Are you in? If so, stick around because today's guest is a powerhouse in the field of geriatrics with over 40 years of experience transforming how we approach aging. I am joined today by Dr. Roseanne Leipzig, who has an astonishingly long list of accolades and academic and aging advocacy leadership. Dr. Leipzig joins me today in her capacity as author. Her book is Honest Aging, and it is practical power-packed guide to navigating the second half of life with vitality and joy. Welcome, Roseanne. Thank you very much, Katie. It's great to be here. I am really excited. I know that you are a trailblazer in the field of aging and longevity. I'm so excited to get into all those things. But first, I want to ask you about the title of your book. Why Honest Aging? What does aging honestly mean to you? Well, the first reason that I came up with this title is that when I thought about writing this book, which was really after hearing a lot of people ask me questions about aging and realizing that there's not really anything out there, I went looking for books. And all I found were things like aging backwards, uh, taking 10 years off your age, (laughs) nothing that really approached, you know, you are gonna age. It's great that you're gonna age. How can you adapt to your new normal? Right. So I decided honest aging was probably the best title I could come up with. I love it. I love it because it's, you know, this this whole notion of aging backwards, honestly, like really, frankly, annoys me because, the you know, aging is living. Right. And we it's it's the most natural thing in the world. It's it's probably the most universal of experiences, uh, you know, potentially along with death if, if to be born is to age. Right. And and one right. of the things that you say in your book, which really jumped out at me, that the quote you say, quote, the key to aging well is knowing what to expect, which makes so much sense. But I have learned from recording this podcast that we are not always given the information we need by our doctors to manage our health properly. Uh, navigating menopause comes to mind around this. And I'm hoping that this conversation is going to help us level set what we as listeners should be expecting in terms of aging. And I would love to start off with some myth busting because I know you get to that in your book. What do you think is the number one myth that gets in the way of healthy, honest aging? That aging is a four-letter word? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a four-letter word, but but I think... (laughs) But I I think I know what you mean, that aging is to be like, you know, fought off tooth and nail, right? That we should, that we should fear it and, 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 you know, do everything in our power to avoid it. Is that what you mean? And certainly not be um, out and proud, so to say, about being, getting older. So I think that's probably the biggest myth and the biggest cultural thing that we need to change. Well, we are doing that. We are, I, I literally wear an age out loud, um, uh, sweater on the my podcast cover art because I really do believe that we should all be aging out loud and we shouldn't be hiding it. Absolutely. We can be role models for others and there are lots of role models for us. 
Yep, I, I agree. And I know from reading your book that your grandmothers were role models for you. Um, I've said on the show before that my own uh, grandmother was one of my role models, my mother, my mother-in-law, who have approached aging with just so much like joy and vitality. They are like energizer bunnies, like very unstoppable, <laughs> trying new things. My mother-in-law, who's had a number of different creative careers, is now writing children's books, you know, for the first time. And it's, it's so... Uh, it's so inspiring to see uh, women who are not letting the fact that they're having, you know, more chronological years get in their way of trying new things and new adventures. Um, so I do want to ask you, one of the early chapters in your book, um, I'm forgetting the exact name of it, but it says something like 60 and 80 are not like 60 is not the new 80 or 80 is not the new 60. Right. <laughs> and you're, you're very clear. And, you know, because we know that you're honest and that you're standing in that in that um, that truth. You say that old age is very different from middle age. So most of my listeners probably fall somewhere in the middle age bracket. But I am willing to just take a bet that most of them want to make it into the old age state. Your book, obviously, is a great guide. You've got a lot of practical chapters on dealing with aging-related concerns that affect things like mobility, weight, sex, life, nutrition. But you begin by saying the cornerstone of healthy aging is attitude and mindset. Can you explain why? Absolutely. Um, And... My way of explaining it is really to to tell you about studies that were done by a clinical uh, psychologist up at Yale named Becca Levy. And basically what she has shown is that if you feel negative about getting older, your old age will not be as good as if you felt positive about it. She's shown that people with positive attitudes toward aging live about seven and a half years longer, and they also live better. They're in better shape than people who have negative um, attitudes. It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it's, 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 it's going to be all downhill, so it's going to be all downhill. She actually did a study where she took people who were 65 and older, sat them in front of computers, had them do something on the computers, but she shot at them subliminally negative or positive images of aging. And after that, she had them do hearing and memory tests. Now, I'm a doctor. I have always thought that hearing tests and memory tests were objective. The way you do on a hearing test today is going to be the way you're going to do on, on a hearing test in two weeks, unless something you know obviously has happened. Um, and similarly with memory. What she found was that those people who had the negative perceptions of aging thrown at them did worse on their memory tests and on their hearing tests. And the only explanation I can come up with for that is they didn't think they could do it as well. Maybe they didn't even try as well. That's as, as... yeah. That's absolutely fascinating. That is so fast, and I, I I I totally believe it. You know, I know that mindset has this reputation as being sort of very woo woo, but I I recognize for myself at least as I've gotten older that my mindset is so fundamental in terms of moving goals forward or driving change or, or even being willing to start something new, right? I have to believe it's possible that I yes. can do it in order to get an action. Right, absolutely. And if you don't think you can do it, you're not gonna be able to do it. I, I have this great yoga teacher who always says, if you think you can't, you're right. You know, and it's like <laughs> it's like one of the only things you can like be a hundred percent sure about being right about. If I think I can, I'm not going to do it. So for people who are looking, you know, listening to this conversation, I think most of my listeners are here because they are pro age. They want to believe that things are possible. That that you can, 
you know, take control of your life and your health and your choices and, and create a joyful, um, vibrant chapter in the, you know, the second, third, fourth, fifth acts of our lives. Do you have one to two tips to share that could help us rewire our mindset around aging? Absolutely. The first is to recognize that most of us have 20 to 40 years to do something after we finish uh, raising our kids, we're empty nesters, or we've retired. That's an incredible amount of time to be able to do something, to have a second, third act. The second thing is our vision of what old people look like and are able to do is really skewed. That studies have shown that 70% of people who are 85 or older say their health is good or excellent. Now, that's an amazing number. <laughs> I okay? love that. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> and it's real. I mean, we use that question in surveys in medicine, because if you say that, it's true. And if you said that your health was poor or fair, that's also true. If you ask about um, the percentage of people who are frail, who are 85 and older, it's only about a quarter. These are 85 and old. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for this. I want to be that 85 year old. Uh, Roseanne, we're heading into a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to pick this up. What are the choices we need to be making to feel that way at 85? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, would you use it to head to yoga, take a nap, read a book, hang with a friend, maybe start a podcast? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. I know I do. I have three kids, two jobs, one puppy, and to be honest, a zillion things on my want to get to list. Here's what I've learned. The best way to squeeze something special into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your busy schedule. Getting started is so easy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash a certain age today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash a certain age. We're back from the break. When we headed into it, you shared this like very joyful stat that that um, people at age 85, a big percentage of them feel healthy, fit, you know, feel that they're they're vibrant and vital. And I love that because I definitely plan on being that 85 year old. Um, so I have, a, I have a quick practical question. You know, I said at the top of the show that you're a, ger- a ger- I can't even say this word. Can you help me out? <laughs> if you think about the word pediatrician. Geri- geriatrician. Okay. All right. Geriatrician. Now that I've said it, please, no one needs to, don't ask me to spell it. Okay. But you are a geriatrician. So at what age does somebody need to see a doctor of your specialty? So this is a two-part question. Does it depend upon somebody's overall health, or is there a specific numerical age where this makes sense? So there's not a specific numerical age as such. Um, There is such variability among older people, much more variability than among younger people. So that, you know, some are in 
are incredibly fit and some are really frail. So I'm going to put a little bit of a caveat in here. And that is there are not enough geriatricians in this country to take care, certainly, of all people who are over 65, even 75. So we're kind of a rare breed. And we try and have people who really can use our combination of skills. So people who are 85 and older, definitely, maybe even 80 or older, um, because if they don't need us now, they probably will in the near future. Okay? Yes. Yep. Um, but there are people who are younger who have some who haven't been as lucky, okay, or have some of the what we call geriatric syndromes. These are things that you think of with aging. They don't happen to everyone, but they happen to a lot of people. And what are and they? These are things like problems with your memory, um, weight loss, falls, balance problems, um, incontinence, frailty, which we've mentioned before. And how do you, is there, there, is there a scientific definition for frailty? What is that? Is that when you have like osteoporosis or osteopenia? What would, what would be? That's a great question. Okay. Frailty has lots of definitions. What we do know is that whatever definition, and I'll give you some that we use, people who are frail have worse outcomes uh, medically. Okay. From medications, from surgeries, from dis diseases. So they are much, um, they're not likely to do as well. Got so it. we really need to do everything to give them more reserve. And that's the problem. That's what frailty is. It's the idea that, you, you know, when I was in medical school, I was taught I had more brain than I could ever use in my life. Okay. And two kidneys so I could give one away. But as you get older, you're using up a lot of that reserve. And if something happens, you need that reserve to get through it. And so frailty is not having that reserve. That okay. You so you can, so and, some people head into old age with this deficit of, of um, I guess, maybe what is the opposite of frailty? Strength, like the ability to combat disease and, and fight off the inevitable. Yeah, I, I would call it fitness. Fitness. Okay. <laughs> fitness. Okay. Um, and I think that's true. I think the thing to think about with um, frailty and that question that you asked before the break, what are the things you need to think about? Um, there's something called sarcopenia, and that's a fancy word, okay? But if you break it down, sarco means muscle, penia means too little. And as you get older, your amount of muscle in your body decreases. The uh, strength that you have decreases, your bone density decreases, and even being able to learn lists of words decreases. And this doesn't suddenly happen when you're 70. It actually starts in your 30s. And you have been compensating for this for many, many years. And then it gets to a point where you notice it more than you did before. If you lose even more muscle than is usual, that impacts your ability to do things. You get tired faster. You're not able to do as much. You walk much more slowly. You stop doing things because of that kind of the pandemic, remember? Sure. Where people just sat on the couch. And it's a cycle. It goes around and around and around. So the thing you need to do is not let that happen. Right. 
Okay, so throughout your life, you really need to keep yourself strong. You need to be walking. You don't have to be an exercise freak, but you do need to do things to keep yourself toned up. And the second thing you need to do is to recognize that your body changes as you get older. Um, you, you lose muscle, you gain fat, okay? If you want to gain that muscle back, you need more protein than we usually have in our diets. So you need to start thinking about eating more protein as you get older. I've, I've heard this from other experts, and uh, I was happy to hear this. <laughs> like a, I do like, there, you know, there's so many protein-rich foods that I do uh, enjoy, and I, you know, you're, you're once again inspiring me, like so many guests have had, to really to continue to prioritize uh, heavy lifting, you know, and doing the kind of exercises that have resistance training that help us keep our bones and musculoskeletal system healthy. I've had a bunch of phenomenal experts on. I had Amanda Thebe, who's a fitness pro, Megan, ah. Megan Dahlman recently, and I had Dr. Vonda Wright. She's been a guest twice. She's an orthopedic surgeon, and she is um, a leading expert in the musculoskeletal impact of menopause on, wow. on women's bodies. And she was just a phenomenal guest who really emphasized this as well. So I think it, that's so important. Um, so I'm delighted yeah. that you brought it up to remind us, you know, we really need to be prioritizing these. Absolutely. And Katie, the other thing I have to say is you don't have to be in a no pain, no, no pain, no gain world. Okay. That studies have shown that if you do the same exercises and you do them over and over again, and you're just testing yourself, you're not making yourself grunt, you're you know, right. not, you know, sweating like crazy, you can get the benefit. That's so reassuring to hear because I, I like an easy button. <laughs> <laughs> when I can, when I can incorporate, you know, I mean, it's funny. I'm actually reading the book right now, Atomic Habits, which I feel like everyone on the planet read, you know, five years ago. But I'm, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer, so I'm finally reading it. And you know, he talks about uh, habit building. Really, one of the the principles of it is like make it be easy, you know, because yes. what's easy and what's right in front of us gets done. So you know, that's why I'm so delighted we're having this conversation because you're reminding me and you're reminding our listeners that we really need to prioritize this. So, Rosanna, I want to ask you, you know, you your book offers wonderful chapters that are like super clear about what we need to be doing for ourselves to manage our health and set ourselves up for this uh, this healthy, vital aging, which is possible for us. Right. Because we, 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 we heard about those 85 year olds, but many of us um, are helping our parents right now start to manage their own caregiving. You know, the, the, the tables start to turn or shift slightly. Mm -hmm as um, the needs of our parents might require us to be more involved in a way that we haven't, we've never been before. I, I had a right. phenomenal show a couple of weeks ago with Kitty Isley, I'm getting it right, Kitty Isley, who is the host of the podcast 24-7, a podcast about caregiving. And she walked us through a lot of practical, tactical tips about managing paperwork and and how to have the hard conversations that allow us to become part of our parents' caregiving. But I want to mm -hmm. ask you, I mean, you have been practicing medicine for 40 years. You have people walk into your office who want to be healthier and age vibrantly, but you probably have also had patients walk in who are accompanied by their adult children. Is that, oh, yes. is that true? <laughs> yes. So, so if, you know, when the shoe is on the other foot and we are the ones that are going in with our parents, you know, 
if you could wave a magic wand, what would you want the adult children of your patients to be doing, supporting, asking, being to really help with their parents' health care? So the first thing I would say is both parties, the children and the parents, have to really try to understand what the other one is going through. Put yourself in their shoes. And I'll talk primarily to your audience, which are caregivers for patients um, or children, okay, adult children. And it's a change in the relationship. For many older people, it they feel uh, diminished. They feel like their children are starting to run their lives for them, and they didn't give them that permission. Um, so I think it's really important whenever you start to have a conversation like this, to raise it gently and ask your parent, what do they think before you start coming up with, we need to do this, we need to do that. Yes. Uh, and in the book, I've actually put advice for loved ones in all of the geriatric syndrome um, chapters, because I think how you approach these things, if somebody is falling, if their memory is failing, um, is uh, you got to be careful. It's it's um, it's ground that can be contentious, and you don't want that. No, absolutely. Hearing you speak actually jogged a thought. I mean, it it sounds a little bit like you know when you're um, having hard conversations with your teenagers, right? You know, we go through a time when our kids are really young, and you say, "Do this, not that." And you expect them to listen. And then your kids grow up and then that approach does not work. That that <laughs> that, that heavy-handed approach is just gonna push your teenager away. And we learn as parents to have conversations with our with our teens and with our young adults that are launching into the world that are that are respectful of their their needs. And yet it's interesting to think that we have to learn that lesson again, you know, as caregiving adult children. You know, that that heavy-handed approach is always going to feel unpleasant and unwelcome. So so thank you for flagging that. You know, you, you I love that the book does offer these sort of concrete tips for every one of the specific situations that you might have as you begin to age. Um, one of the things that the book identifies is that caring for aging parents goes sometimes beyond simply monitoring their medicine or accompanying them to doctor's appointments, right? Sometimes right. people need to step in and take the car keys away. And like, that's a healthcare decision. Um, so, you know, for listeners right now who are thinking, you know, I'd love to have a little a tip or a tool or a conversation jump starter. Um, what might you recommend that they say when they're trying to talk to their parents about the hard conversation of having to step in and help manage daily life activities? I think the first thing to do is to get your parent to ask them how they think things are going so that you have an idea as to what the, what construct they have. And then sometimes what you need to do is reality test for them and let them know that this is, you're concerned that this is happening and this is happening, and should you be concerned? And, and have them work with you through why you're concerned and why they're not. Okay, that's a great, great piece of advice because that way if you're, you, really pull out of your parents what they think is happening. 
because no one's a mind reader. You know, you might assume that your parent knows that they're having trouble with certain things, but until you hear them say that they don't think they are, you know, that, that helps you understand like what kind of uh, gulf you need to close between your understanding of what's or your concerns about what's not happening and their understanding of what they think they've got covered. I, I, I love that. So for parents who are, you know, um, just sort of digging their heels in and are not interested in managing their, their health or don't want their, their child to be supportive, you know, do you have, as a doctor, what is the ability for the, the healthcare system to kind of help um, with those intractable situations? Or does that not occur? Oh, there are intractable situations, and our society is not set up for them, okay? I mean, driving is something that your doctor can help. Um, most states, not all, um, the doctor can write a note and say this person needs to be tested. But before we get to that point, because that obviously can cause uh, frictions between the doctor and the patient, there are a number of things that you can do along the way. So um, it's really trying to get the parent to understand um, that there is a problem or that you're concerned there's a problem. And as a doctor, I'm speaking right now. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> no, no, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that something is, you know, it, driving is incredibly complex. You need vision. You need speed. You need reaction time. I mean... Even being able to turn your neck as you get older is harder as you're going out. of. That's why they've got these cameras now in all these cars. Yeah. There are a number of things um, that I can say to someone and say, you know, have you noticed anything like this? Any fender benders? Any, you know, concerns in those ways? Are your kids afraid to have their kids ride with you? Which is mm, what happens. Yes. That's a, okay. yeah, that's a biggie. Yeah. And so there do exist places that do um, driver's tests and not legal driver's tests, but driver's tests to develop, to understand where the problems are and if they're remediable. So there are rehab um, places for driving to teach people how to drive. That's so fascinating. Um, I would... Somebody who's um, associated with the VA, they have, they have that as well. That's so fascinating. But we're talking right now about like when when kids step in and, you know, I, I'm making the assumption that people have children, you know, to step in and help. And, and if you do have a loving, supportive family that's around you, you know, that is extremely fortunate. But I have many friends in my life who are not married or that do not have children. And so as they age, they will be doing, you know, solo aging. What are your right. what are your recommendations for listeners who are thinking, oh, my God, I don't have five kids that are going to help me? You know, what are steps they can be taking today to prepare for that future? One of the things that we don't have enough of and we need more of is community. We need people who we do things for and they do things for us. And there are community centers. Some people get it through their houses of worship. I mean, they're different places. But we really, you need friends who are not your age as well. You need to make friends as an older person with younger people and as a younger person with older people. And some communities are getting very smart about this and hooking people up with each other or having um, the ability to have someone call in and say, I have a doctor's appointment. 
I have no way of getting there, or I need a colonoscopy, they won't do it unless somebody's there to take me home. I don't have anybody. And so those sorts of things um, are more functional. And we as a society should be able to do that. And there are a lot of not-for-profits that are trying to do that as well. And what would some of those be? Do you have any off the top of your head? Of the not-for-profits? Yes. Yeah, well, so here, I'm in New York City. Um, the Manhattan JCC has a huge program like that. Um, there are, uh, now I'm blanking, of course. That's okay. That, Roseanne, that's what, that, is what, that is what Google is for. But, you know, just right. pointing out the fact that these JCCs, which are all across the country, maybe step into the breach in some ways and there are other nonprofits. And by the way, I'm going to look this up myself after the show is over and, and, and put some stuff into the show notes to share with people at the end, because I think that's so valuable. You um, triggered a memory when you said that you need to have younger friends. I mean, I think of countless Christmas Eve lunches that we had in my house where my mother would invited a friend of hers who was several years older and was alone and she would come and spend the meal with us. And my mother was wonderful about taking care of, um, my youngest brother is 11 years younger than I am, and he had a babysitter because my mom was at work. And as she aged and my mom was no longer working, my mom almost took care of her. She would help get her prescriptions and her medicines, and she would invite her over, and she would take her to some doctor's appointments. And, like, the roles were reversed after, you know, she was no longer babysitting my little brother, who was now an adult, but my mom was caring for her because of that relationship and that connective tissue. So this notion got of— a good one. Yeah. No, I've got an amazing mom. She's like just an incredible human. But um, this notion of, of connective tissue across generations and across different interests like church or synagogue or activities, you know, if you're like join a running club or if you're, you Which know, club? anything like there's just so many different ways to find relationships. And I, I, I love when doctors um, make recommendations like this that are so common sense and the rest of us should be recognizing that uh, this kind of relationship is so generous, but it's also good for your health, you know, it's right? It's very good for your health. And isolation is very bad for your health. I yeah. mean, we learned during the pandemic that isolation is as bad as smoking in, as far as your um, life expectancy. Yeah, um, totally. We, we need socialization. A hundred percent. This po this podcast launched during the pandemic because I missed hanging out in a room full of amazing women. And I was wow. like, all right, well, I can grab a mic and I can talk to amazing women. And so I completely agree with you. Dr. Leipzig, we're running into the end of our time here, but I do want to um, ask you some last questions before we have to say goodbye. And this is what I call our speed round. So this is what we call our speed round. This is just one to two word answers to complete this thought. Are you ready? Okay. I could talk about this honest aging topic again and again. Use it or lose it. Ooh, okay, nice. That's intriguing. No one wants to fall and break a hip. What's an action we can take today to make sure this is not in our future? Strengthen your legs. Nice. Brain health is such a key factor in vital aging. What's an action that supports healthy brain aging? Healthy heart aging. Oh, Okay, didn't see that coming. You've written an incredibly comprehensive and well-regarded book on health as we age, right? What is another book, podcast, resource that you think our listeners should have on their radar? Elderhood by Louise Aronson. Nice. 
the American healthcare system can feel overwhelming. I myself get confused and I'm 54. What resource can you point us to that can help us figure out how to guide our parents through what could feel like a Byzantine maze? Learn about advocacy organizations and advocate. Mm, nice. Good advice. Okay. Even doctors need to work on their well-being. This lifestyle choice or hack helps fuel my inner peace. Meditation. You know what? Everyone says that and I still don't do it. Okay. You're inspiring me. All right. Finally, <laughs> your one word answer to complete the sentence. As I age, I feel. Lucky. Nice. I feel lucky too. And I feel lucky you said yes and you came on the show to talk about honest aging and share so many uh, wonderful resources and smart ideas with our listeners. I really appreciate it. So before we say goodbye, how can our listeners keep following you, your work, and learn about your, where they can get your book? I have a website. It's RoseanneMD. It's .com. That's R-O-S-A-N-N-E. Everybody gets that wrong. <laughs> .com. I love it. Putting that in the show notes. Thank you so much. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. And before I say goodbye, a quick favor. Last time I checked, we were three, just three reviews away from reaching 200 Apple podcast reviews. If you've learned something on today's show, if you feel smarter, more informed, better supported, please take five minutes to write a short review over on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps the show grow. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties.